it's so key in what I want to tell you that if you don't know kind of some of the things behind the story, it won't, I don't think it'll hit your heart as well. So what I'm going to do is kind of start at the end a little bit to give you like a teaser, but it's called a trailer, really. It's, you know, like a movie. <laughs> uh, this trailer is a preview of what I'm going to be promoting all spring with the tour for Invisible Children. So if Eric's going to put that up real quick and keep in mind my friend Nate, who has kind of been a really big key person in all of this. He really did persevere through an incredibly hard time growing up in a war zone. It's hard to talk about it. This place was really, it was like our home. This thing, if you go there, you cannot forget about this. You have a death. After one month, you can go and remember about this. Instead of being on the film, he was there face to face with other American roadies. That is the first time I met Nate. We're not changing just lives in Uganda, but you can really see the change in America as well. I became so close to Nate like a brother. Mountain best forever. West coast to the best coast, baby. We're just enjoying ourselves watching the World Cup soccer final. Terror bombings in Uganda. 74 people killed. The attacks in Kampala were powerful and synchronized. Right, I invite the whole world to join together and we end this terror. my door. That's what I'm stepping into. Um, this has been such a journey. If you remember, um, anyone who's been here since the spring, the theme we had going on at the beginning and the theme for my life when I first moved back from Rochester was seeds. I was in my room really discouraged and I opened a drawer and there were packets and packets of flower seeds everywhere. And I'm like, that's not just a coincidence who has flower packets in their room randomly. Like, what are you trying to say? And so I started kind of researching in the Bible what seeds meant. And then dad unknowingly started preaching about you reap what you sow, what goes around comes around type, type deal. And that was the theme for like a whole session 
in what we were learning about. And during that time was when Nate and the spring team came to our home and I met them. And I remember journaling that first night they were there. And I just was like, I was like shaking. I was so excited about meeting them and having them there and finally feeling like, what are you doing in my life right now? Like, and God said, I, I read over it last night. He said, I'm planting seeds in your heart and you have no idea how big this will grow. And then as it began to kind of grow and feed into my heart, Innocent, the young boy who was here, we became like brother and sister. We keep in touch constantly. He'll call me randomly and I'll have really bad service, but I'm getting a call from Uganda. I mean, it's really cool. And I was reading over some of my emails that I got from Nate last night. And the last thing he sent me was saying, you know, Hey cat, I know that this is last minute, but is there any way I can get any support from you guys? You know, I really need it to get over there. This is something I really want to do. And I said, I'm sending you 200 tonight. And you guys did that. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support and all of this. We couldn't have done it without you. And um, over the spring, my dad was really trying hard to get me to go to this conference that we went to in July. And I was kind of pushed. I was working like 70 hours a week. And for some reason, I had this mindset that I can't take any time off. Like, no, I don't, I don't want to go. I need to work. And um, God kept kind of like gnawing at me. Like, you need to go. This, and dad even said the same thing. This is going to be so significant for you. You need to go. So I made the decision that I would go, and the Monday before he left was when I was woken up at 6 o'clock in the morning with my dad crying over me, saying, you know, what's Nate's last name? And I said, it's Nate Hen, and he just starts crying, and I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding? And I just wept all day. I just wept and sobbed. No one was home. I went up to pedal pushers with my, when my friends took me up there, and I just went in the back near a bench and just covered myself in dirt and just planted and planted because I knew there was something. I needed to create life. I needed to bring life out of this death. And that's what happened. Nate's death planted a seed in my heart and in the hearts of so many And it says that unless a seed dies, it cannot bring forth life. And this is the life that I've seen brought forth throughout the summer. At the conference, God opened so many doors for me personally and confirmed so many things through people I had never met before in my life. In February, before Innocent and the team came through, I had written in my journal, God, I feel like I'm in this room of doors and I just don't know which one to go through. I'm so confused. And a girl came up to me and she said, I want to pray for you. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And she said, I have three things for you. And previously I had written about in my journal how I felt like I was just this cracked pot and how nothing was flowing out. And I just, this whole sense overwhelmed me of just feeling like, blah. Like, what do I do? I want, you know, you're talking about these seeds, but I feel no life flowing forth from this. And she said, first off, I see you in this room of doors and you're blindfolded, and you're spinning around, but God said he's going to stop you. He's going to open the door, and you're going to walk through it. And I was like, okay, sweet. And then she goes, and I also see you as this cracked pot, but God is going to pour forth living water through those cracks. <laughs> like, okay, what's the third thing? And she's like, and I see you. I see your hands. And she cups my hands together like this, and she said, they're full of seeds. And everywhere you go, you're going to be spreading seeds of life. And I was like, okay. Like, what? 
<laughs> Who does that? And God does that. God does that. God puts things in our hearts. We go through things. And if I had refused to go, I wouldn't have had that experience. I probably would have been stuck home with the knowledge of my friend's death, totally in despair, not knowing what to do. But God knew. God knew. He knew what was going to happen. And it worked out just so perfectly. And now I get to come back to New England, to the very region that he came through, and tell his story. Their Tony DVD, they all come with two bracelets. This time it's one for Tony, and there's going to be one for Nate. And we're telling both of their stories. And when I found that out, I couldn't even cry. I was so in awe that I got, I feel so privileged to do this. And yet, he was just a guy. He's just a guy. But all of us should feel privileged to wear the name of Jesus Christ as Christians, to feel privileged to tell his story, to share with others. Listen to what this guy did like 2,000 years ago. And listen to what he's still doing today. Because even Nate's life, though he's dead, is still affecting lives and probably will be for the next while. They built a school in, um, in Uganda and they dedicated it to him. You know, like that kind of impact. That's the kind of legacy that he left. One of the things that stuck out to me the most at the conference was my dad. Um, he was on the prayer team, and the first night, uh, Phil Strout was talking about being desperate for God, and one of the things they talked about was a cause to die for, and I remember just, like, shaking in my seat, going, okay, this is, like, I could almost feel it taking root in my heart and pulling at me, like, burning in my bones. I had to get up there for prayer, and I go right to my dad, and he just drapes over me, and, and then he cups my face like this. You guys know my dad. He's not super emotional, but he can be when it's real. (laughs) And that's what I appreciate about him so much. (laughs) And he starts crying, and he says, I realize that Nate died living your dream. And I release you for that dream. And I give you over to this, whatever it is, whatever you need. And I just, like, broke something in me that needed that affirmation from my father, that needed that confirmation that this is what I'm supposed to do, that this is what I want to do so badly, but God, is it really what I, what's next for me? Is this really the door that you want me to walk through? Because I don't want to walk through the wrong one like I did before. I don't want to go through the door that I thought was the right way and end up back way further than where I started. And he confirmed it in so many things. It was this process that I had to go through. It was a process all summer of growing and learning through the seeds and reap what you sow and how everything that you do in your life, there's this thing that happens because of that and how we need to be aware of that in our relationship with others and our relationship with our husbands, our family. And then we started talking about the gifts of the Spirit and how those are things that grow in our life and how we have to, you know, we meditate on the word of God. We spend time alone with the Lord. We have com- like communion here. We have fellowship and we're growing in the gifts of the spirit and our desire to be in Acts 29 church, the next chapter. And then dad kind of did a little 180 degree turn. And he just, I remember sitting here that Sunday when he started talking about furious love. And I remember thinking, oh boy, this is it. Like this is legit. Not like it wasn't before. But it stuck out to me. It really. <laughs> Sorry. 
But when we talked about furious love, and we talked about fearless love, and how I realized more so after how much fear played a part in my life, and I don't think I'm a really fearful person. I'll snowboard with my video camera, I'll jump off cliffs, I'll rock climb, I'll go without ropes. Like, I'm not really afraid of much, but I'm afraid of people. We're all kind of afraid of each other at some point or another. We all have our insecurities. We all have these things that keep us from doing and the things that we really want to do keep us from loving one another because something that happened like 20 years ago that maybe sometimes we can't even remember but affected you in such a profound way that your entire life and your all your habits are changed because of maybe what someone said, maybe what your father did to you or something that was so significant and wounded you so badly that you are now afraid. And you know what fear does? It keeps you from trusting people. It keeps you from trusting God. Because how you view certain people kind of reflects on how you view God. Because we are made in the image of our creator, God. So what I want to talk about is loving bravely. And trusting. Because trusting God in this journey has been more significant to me than anything. So I'm going to start by reading 1 John Chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. I'm just going to start reading. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are the truth and reassure our heart before him. I'm going to read verse um, 17 again. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love bravely. Love is a verb. You don't remember that DC Talk song? Love is a verb. No? Okay. I was a big fan. So, this now applies to our story of Esther. Um, so, a quick overview of the story of Esther. She was a young Jewish woman, and King Xerxes was throwing this banquet, and his wife was really, really beautiful, and he asked her to come out, and she refused. She was kind of being a snot. And she didn't show up, so she's out. New queen is needed. So they recruited all these women of a certain age and stuff to come in, and Esther was chosen. Now, keep in mind, she's Jewish. That's really key. You know, she's a child of God. She's Jewish. She's in Assyria. Not in her own homeland. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I knew I was missing something. (laughs) Um... And they have to go through this long process of preparing to go before the king and almost like American Idol, but not quite because they're going to be queen, but they're like tryouts and they have to go before and like he's got to pick and she stood among them and he picked her. He picked her and, um, there's so much involved in this story. I feel like I could really go on, but push comes to shove. God had a reason that she was there, but keep in mind, God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther. But if you read it and you read the story, his fingerprints are all over it. Almost like someone typed the story and he just went, <laughs> and like kind of rejumbled it and was like, yeah, I'm all over that. <laughs> like, that's God. He's so awesome. <laughs> um, so Esther is queen now, and there's this really bad guy who's all full of himself, and 
her uncle, because she was adopted, kind of saved the king's life, like warned him that he was going to be assassinated. So the king wanted to honor him, but because he was a Jew, he wouldn't bow down to this guy, Mordecai, Haman, the guy. Okay. I read over this like five times last night to make sure I got all the names or I even wrote it out. Should have brought that. Um, push comes to shove. There's a point where the king has made a decree based on manipulation to kill all the Jews. And so Esther's uncle goes and warns her. And she's kind of like, well, you know, you can't go before the king unless you're summoned. So here's where I'm going to pick up in scripture. Esther 4, verses 11 through 14. It says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king's, to the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's place you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Quite the challenge. Quite the challenge. Who knows that you were not picked just because God knew you could save us. And imagine the thought in Esther when she gets that message. Like, oh boy. You probably heard me say before that courage is not necessarily not being afraid. It's what's doing what is right even though you are afraid. And that's what Esther had to do. She had to be courageous and stand up for her people, stand up for her God, and take a step, take a risk. She went before the king, and she had this, like, plot, this plan with a banquet and all this stuff, and revealed how um, Haman had manipulated the king. And Haman ended up being hanged. And her family was saved, and the Jews were fine. And this story is told, it's celebrated in Jewish holidays as like a legit holiday because of what she did and how she changed history forever and how she's inspired people. They made a movie out of it. And this was so long ago, but because she was courageous, because she was obedient unto the will of the Lord, sometimes being obedient takes a lot of courage. It takes bravery. She loved her God. She loved her people. So she was brave. She was not, she might've been really scared, but she was brave. She had this courage that was put in her because she realized I was put here for such a time as this. Each of you were put here for such a time is this, whether it's Uganda, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's Kenya or South America, wherever it is that you feel in your heart, oh, I really want to do this. I really want to go. I want to learn how to fly a plane. Do it. Do it. Like I really wanted to get involved with invisible children for four years at college. And I never like had the braves and the courage to do it. And finally I did. And look where it's taken me. Look where it's bringing me. That God has placed in you this destiny, this thing. And those are like big words. We kind of think, oh, we're just like normal people here in Laconia of all places. But God has something for you in that. And he has a design and a purpose, and he wants to bring you through that. Two quick biblical examples of courage other than Esther. One is Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. And how, you know, he was threatened to say you can't pray to anyone else, and he continued to pray. He did what was right. 
even though I'm sure he was afraid. And he was thrown into a den of lions, and God shut the lions' mouths. <laughs> it's awesome. And then David. Picture this. You're in the middle of the desert. You're running from a king who's trying to kill you, but you're called by God, and you're hiding in this cave amongst all these waterfalls and all this cool stuff, and you're in with all these men. And the guy you're, like, running from who wants to kill you is taking a leak in the back of the cave. And he goes over, and, like, everyone's like, oh, you got to go kill him. you got to kill him. And what does he do? He's courageous. He does the right thing. He cuts a thing from the guy's robe and walks away. He does not kill him. Courage to do what was right. Even though this guy wanted him dead, he trusted God for the justice that he deserved because he saw Saul as someone anointed by God. He said, I would not strike God's anointed. And how many times do we feel like, oh, we got to take vengeance. We got to do this because that's what's right. No, what's right is trusting God and doing the action necessary to encourage people to do what's right in the sight of God. Taking courage, being brave. You know, it was brave of David to step back and not kill him. In a sense, he risked his life just in that. And another aspect of loving bravely is compassion. Courage and compassion kind of go hand in hand. You know, a lot of the things that we've been focusing on as a church here is social justice and how we're going to be working with Love 146. And one of the things on Love 146 card is that love protects Love defends, love restores, and love empowers. Furious love does that. Fearless love does that. Brave love does that. I'm going to read you a quick little excerpt from a book called Out of the Salt Shaker Into the World. If you haven't read this, you should read it. It's a great book about evangelism. And she's talking about how she was like crazy about evangelism and running around and doing all this stuff. And one of the things she says is, I witnessed like a Pavlovian dog. The bell would ring, I would get ready, activated, juices running, and then bam, I'd spit it all out. Paradoxically, I also knew that unless I really cared for my skeptic friends, they would never be interested in the gospel. I was deeply moved by the way Jesus demonstrated compassion to the people that he met. I wanted to do the same, although it didn't occur to me that this had as much to do with evangelism. And that's what it's really all about. It's sharing Christ. It's he did it with compassion. It says that he looked out on the crowds and he had compassion on them. He, you know, what would drive a Jewish rabbi to go and heal a leper except that he had compassion? What would, you know, on the Sabbath in front of all these other religious guys, would he go and heal this blind man? But he had compassion. He didn't care about, you know, oh, you can't do that. They even asked him, like, how can you heal someone on the Sabbath? Like, if someone healed a blind guy on Sunday, I'd be like, whoa, you just healed a blind guy. Forget that it's Sunday. Like, you just healed a blind guy. That's awesome. But they were, you know, concerned with other things. But he was filled with compassion. And what an example that he gave for us. How much courage Jesus needed to obey. Bay. He was tempted. He was tried. I'm sure he struggled with the idea of, you know, being tortured and nailed to a cross. I'm sure he struggled with that just a little bit. I'm sure that took a lot of brave courage, brave love for us. In, uh, in the Greek, compassion means to be moved unto one's bowels, to groan, cry for the person. You become infected with another person's suffering. And compassion is an act of worship that sets you right with God. That, you know, true religion is said to live justly, 
love mercy and walk humbly with your God, to have compassion, to care for the orphan and the widow in their distress. How many of you know a couple of orphans or people who have needs? How, you know, these kids over in Africa, it was never really like so deep in my bones. I didn't have compassion until I realized their suffering, until it was like growling within me. Was I willing to take that step? To see people as Christ sees them, to see with eyes of compassion, and to have that courage to do what's necessary. And a heart of compassion lies in understanding Christ's sacrifice for us. How significant what he did on the cross is for us. And how significant it is that he rose from the dead and that he's still alive today. How strange of a concept that is, but how awesome it is. And how he predestined us to to be here today. And you know, people argue predestination all you want. But to me it says, you have a God you can trust. Because he knows better than you could ever know. And if he's calling you to do something, got to just do it. Can't hesitate. Can't wait. Because you never know what you're going to miss out on. Like if I had not gone to the conference, I would have missed out on something life-changing and awesome. Like so cool. So the last that I want to read is Ephesians 5 verses 1 through 2. I am so warm right now. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And some of you are still flipping, so I'm going to read it again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We have to trust God sometimes, even though we can't see the outcome. But sometimes he does give you little hints. Like in February, when I got that note in my journal about the doors and seeds and how I was encouraged. But, you know, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken the time to be with him, to have personal time. All those steps that we went over the last small group section when we had it here about being the X29 church, continue that. Continue to do that. Read those prayer cards. I took them to work with me and kept them in my little book. And whenever, like, a customer really got under my skin and made me want to just, like, throw water or, like, all over them or something, I would open my little book, sit down, and just, like, read and, like, over and over and over and over again. And it literally, like, just focusing, taking that minute, that reminder that, you know, underneath his wings I abide. And the day, my last day there, my friend Erin, who's the other Christian at my work, she was like, what am I going to do without you here? You're always so encouraging. And so I took out my cards and I gave them to her. I said, read these every time you get the way you get. (laughs) And she was like, sweet, thank you so much. (laughs) But sometimes we need those. And that's what the Bible is here for. That's what we're here for, to encourage each other, to help one another, to love one another, even though the person sitting next to you is kind of odd, or you may have gotten in a fight. (laughs) Trust God. There's two things I want to say to you. Trust God and live bravely. Love bravely. Because that's where you're going to find it. That's where you, it's like the niche. You just fit, thunk, you fit. So that's my encouragement to you. And I want to thank you so much for all of your support and 
in all of this. This journey has been incredible and probably would not have gotten through with it without you guys. I'll miss you. And look for me in the spring. And Lord, I just pray a blessing over this church, over this body, that they would truly abide in you, that you would build faith in us as a family, and that we would seek out your truth. We would have compassion And you would teach us to be active in that compassion. It would not just be this tender feeling in our heart, but it would move our feet to do your will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.